Welcome, everybody, to Rapid Fire. I hope you can hear me okay. Uh, I'm your host, Toby Leary. Welcome to your weekly talk radio show, All Things Guns, Freedom, Second Amendment, and Self-Defense, sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. Make sure you join us each and every week and sign up at rapidfireradio.us to be alerted whenever we go live. And you can find us wherever you find your social media at Cape Gunworks at Rapid Fire Radio on all the usual suspects as far as social media platforms are concerned. And also, please remember to like, subscribe, comment, and share our posts on social media because we need to defeat the algorithm. We need to be able to spread the message of the 2A lifestyle and normalize gun ownership in our communities uh, by being able to reach beyond the usual echo chambers. So um, thank you guys for joining us. I'm sorry I'm late. Uh, we had the 2A rally on the green in Boston Common, right below the tower of the state house, um, in the shadow of the state house, I should say. Um, fuzzy feedback or something, but not bad. That's not good. Let's try and get rid of that. Um, I don't know if that's better or not. Uh, but being at the state house was a lot of fun. Uh, it's always interesting to see uh, where the where the uh, the halls of the law is made, right? And the state house is called the People's House, um, and it's a gorgeous, it's a beautiful building. It's amazing, actually. Um, maybe during one of the breaks, I'll try to download some of the video um, that we took, but it, it is just an absolutely gorgeous building where the people we send to create law on our behalf um, conduct their day-to-day -day business. Um, and unfortunately, as a result of um covid that, that it's very rarely full today was a formal session so all the legislators were there and uh i hope we made some in i hope we made some uh inroads if you will in the uh i i actually would say that my best meeting at the state house was with cindy cream's office the senate president um and she is, uh, she is, I'm sorry, not the president. That's Karen Spilka. It was, uh, it's the um, Cindy Cream. What is she? The Senate Majority Leader, I believe. I'm not mistaken. Now I got to check my notes because I, uh, I can't remember. But um, let me see. But anyway, I met, I went to Julian Sears. Um, office and he was not there he was on the cape which i found interesting uh, because the the house was in formal session uh, so yeah karen uh, spilka is the president and cream is the majority leader all right so i had it right um i left some information sheets with them uh but Cindy Cream's chief of staff met with a group of us for a while, and you could tell he was mildly annoyed, 
by us. And um, by the way, check that out. Do not comply based on my speech today. Um, that was the overarching message of my speech. But we left some some interesting fact sheets with all the the people that we visited with. And unfortunately, when we met with uh, Cindy Cream's uh, chief of staff, he was trying to find some common ground with us. I'll give him that. He was like, look, you know, get away from the constitutional arguments you have right now and let's talk about practical steps the Senate can take. And my problem was like, no, that's exactly why we're here is to say, stop violating the rights of your constituents. Like, stop, really stop. Because that's what you've got away with for so long. And he wanted to get into the weeds on, on um, ghost guns and, you know, unserialized firearms and longer training with live fire for as a requirement for licensing. And, and I'm like, look, you know, that's the problem is we continue to get off in the weeds. And he's like, yeah, that's where this is headed. Um, but I'm like, this is, this is the problem is the fact that we aren't taking our rights seriously. And I said, look, I didn't have to get a license in order to speak on the Boston Common today. I don't have to get a license to come into the people's house and meet with my representatives and senators, right? I don't need a license in order to have Fourth Amendment protection against illegal searches and seizures. You know, none of the, I don't have a license to go to church on Sunday. I don't have a license to vote in the next election. And He's like, yeah, well, this has nothing to do with licensure. And I said, well, it does actually, because you're requiring conditions upon my rights. He goes, well, you know, we're not doing away with licenses anytime soon. I said, probably not, but there's going to be legal challenges. How about we just stop making laws that good people need to sue in order to get their rights back? That doesn't make sense. So, that would be a good start. Like, let's hold the people who commit crime responsible so that we don't need to sue to get our rights back. I mean, that means that's that's uh, common sense to me. I don't understand why the constant search of a, a solution in constant search of a problem is the approach that we always take. I said, there's no other law that you enact to punish 100 million people, or in the case of Massachusetts, 600,000 people for the actions of a very few bad actors. And that is exactly what you're doing. You know, you want to take away the hobbyist, the, uh, the freedom hobby guy, nerdy, geeky guy who wants to make his own guns without any government knowledge of that. You want to take that right away from him. You want to take that away from him because of the criminal element that could use the ghost gun in a crime. I go, they've been obliterating serial numbers for decades, for you know, a hundred years. 
if they don't want you to know about it, they're going to figure it out. They're going to get a gun. They're going to grind the serial numbers. They're going to make a gun. It doesn't really matter. You don't have to be a genius or a rocket science scientist to build a gun. All you're doing is criminalizing the act of building a gun so that law-abiding people can't do it. The criminal element could give a rip. They don't care. They're not going to bend to your wishes. So it was that. Um, I would say that was one of the positive interactions I had at the state house. Um, the unfortunate thing is when we were there at the state house is when they gave roll call to um, to the House of Representatives that you know the, all the reps that were there because they were going to be in their informal session. So the good news is they felt our presence, they saw our presence, they saw our um, our shirts, our hats, our brochures. They got left with uh, certain sheets of paper. Um, hopefully, and I know some of the reps that are on our side came down and uh, joined us on the Boston Common. As we had a great lineup of lineup of speakers, we had um, a couple of state reps speak. We had Adam Kraut speak from Second Amendment Foundation. We had um, the Northeast representative from the NRA. We also had uh, Jim Wallace speak. We had um, Carrie Ann O'Claire speak and Re Renee uh, Gagne. Um, both from the DC project. They did a phenomenal job. Um, I also got to read my state rep's letter of support for the Second Amendment, which we'll probably do in a little bit here. Um, I do want to uh, get to that um, and read that. And I'll tell you guys a little bit about my speech as well. So, because um, that's, that's really important. So um, that was the flavor of the day, if you will. Oh, we also had um, a guy, uh, Grossman, I forget his first name, who is from the Pink Pistols and said, look, we're here uh, because the LGBTQ community is also one that has been, uh, you know, uh, threatened and we believe in the right to uh, keep and bear arms. And I'm like, great, hats off to you. And, you know, that's the whole point is the Second Amendment is a big tent. It's a uh, it's a very big tent. Anyone who wants to defend their life uh, by the Second Amendment has that right. So, um, yeah, that was some of the quick highlights of the rally today. I, I was honestly a little disappointed at the turnout, even though it was four or five tour buses full of people that came. Probably close to 500 people, I would guess. Maybe more. Um, I was hoping it would be thousands, though, like tens of thousands. Um, but yeah. so anyway, quick break. We will be right back. I'm Toby Leary. This is Rapid Fire. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex Optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex optics today. And welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. 
thank you for joining us and thank you for rolling with the punches on the time which we started. Uh, I literally got back to the house, jumped in the vehicle, headed straight to the shop here and jumped on the air. So it was, it, we've been going like gangbusters since about seven this morning. So anyway, um, getting back to the rally, the lineup of speakers uh, was phenomenal. Um, we had uh, the, the overall flavor was um, of the speakers pretty much down the board, down the line. Um, oh, and Garrett Holcomb from Gun Owners Action League spoke. Of course, Jim Wallace spoke. Uh, he was kind of the MC of the whole thing, but he also spoke. And um, I think everybody did a really, really, really good job of just honing in on what is at stake. And of course, I did my usual. Um, you've painted me into a corner. There's no place for me to go. So we will not comply. I will not comply as a gun store uh, with this drivel. And, uh, you know, that was the message I tried to get across to legislators as well was, um, hey, you forced our hand to the point where we can't comply. 600,000 gun owners will be felons overnight if they don't act or do something that this bill says that they should do, like register a gun, register their barrels, register their magazines, all that crap I think is going away. Hopefully, um, I, I'd like to, I'd like to, I'd like to believe so, but that was kind of the feeling I got from, uh, Cindy Cream's chief of staff was they're working on a parallel bill that will do away with some of that. I know that they're really hyped up on the training requirements and the ghost guns. Um, so that's that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, not not cool, but you know that's if something's going to pass, that's a whole lot better than banning all semi-automatic rifles. However, I'm not in favor of anything passing, obviously. Um, but you know, we'll see what, what, where it shakes out. Um, I think the message was heard loud and clear from the first iteration of 4420 was that, no, nope, not, not going to tolerate that. Even law enforcement isn't going to enforce it. So there you go. A couple of the highlights, um, on the talking points that we told, you know, brought into the into the various offices of the people we met with were, um, did you know that tens of thousands of crimes are prevented every year by lawfully armed citizens in the U S this is the stuff that they don't want to hear, but they need to hear some of the most horrific mass shooting events have occurred in gun free zones where occupants were unable to defend themselves. Um, History shows that governments restrict firearm ownership before implementing repressive measures and committing civil rights atrocities that have killed millions of their own citizens. U.S. Constitution's Bill of Rights, Second Amendment, right to keep and bear arms, prevents the U.S. government from becoming tyrannical. Um, I don't know if it outright prevents it, but it certainly makes them think twice. Um, Massachusetts House Docket HD 4420, an act modernizing firearms laws, is clearly unconstitutional as it dismantles the Second Amendment, for example, 
by banning nearly all commonly owned and uh, semi-automatic firearms, prevents or greatly restricts citizens from defending themselves by effectively banning concealed carry firearms almost everywhere, makes felons of up to 600,000 law-abiding Massachusetts citizens, does nothing to ensure violent criminals serve mandatory sentences. That was my big talking point of the day with some of the legislators, is they don't do the time. Um, will cause crime to increase. That's something they don't want to believe, but it's true. Uh, violent crime is up 120% since 1998 when the Gun Control Act of 1998 in Massachusetts went through, um, which was supposed to be a public safety bill. It was a public safety bill. That's what it was sold to us as. And it was sold, uh, we were sold down a river because it was a bill of you know what. Um, so will be used as a bl blueprint to implement in every state. Uh, I do believe that they see themselves as progressive in this way that they will um, pass something that they hope will pass muster or re-challenge Bruin at the Supreme Court level. Um, and so, um, that's, you know, that is their desire, I believe. So a couple of the, uh, references and notes about that, um, is especially the gun-free zone shootings. Uh, think about this. Some of the worst public shootings were in gun-free zones in countries where citizens did not have the right to keep and bear arms. One of the worst ever was November 13, 2015. The, Pat, the Bataclan Theater in Paris, France, where 90 people were killed and hundreds wounded. And this one is probably going to go down in the annals of time as the worst period was September 1st, 20, 2004. The Beslan School in North Assenta, Russia, where 333 people died, 186 were children. Many individuals were killed during the rescue attempt. Um, those were gun-free zones, folks, where people had no right to keep and bear arms. And, uh, you know, they that's the problem. And when the uh, Cynthia Cream's chief of staff said, so what do you guys do about schools if you are gun people? And I said, well, I put my kids in private school and one of the private schools my kids were in um, gave per permission to certain people to carry guns in there. So it wasn't a gun-free zone. And then another guy said, I have five kids and I homeschool them all. The guy's like, oh, wow. Um, and I said, you know, I know you don't want to hear this, but gun-free zones are kill zones. They just, they just are. And um, so you, you can put your head in the sand and not deal with that that accordingly but there's plenty of people that would come to the aid of uh kids who are being shot and the worst part is when you ban people from from the uh from the a certain area whatever it is public space public building um school or cafeteria or mall or park or you know whatever whatever it is then you're inviting psychopaths to come in and kill. We all know that. I'm just preaching to the choir here, but hopefully someone will hear that and, and say, 
hey, we got to do something. Um, but I have kind of an accelerated schedule on the first half of the show today uh, because I am running late. So I want to leave plenty of time for our guest, uh, Laura Carno, uh, an author and ad- activist and advocate in Colorado. Um, she's going to be a great guest in the second hour. So I, I really want to leave plenty of uh, time um, for that. So um, let's go to a quick break here and uh, we will be back after this. Make sure you go check out the website at capegunworks.com. Check out all the classes coming up. You can shop online. The whole inventory of uh, what we have in the store is up online. Great deals. We'll ship right to you or to your FFL in whatever state you're in. And uh, yeah, so we'd love to be your online gun store as well as your brick and mortar retail establishment that can point in the right direction. I'm Toby Leary. This is Rapid Fire. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Federal ammunition is 100. This is where the American ingenuity met a trailblazing spirit. Hard work united with patriotism and technology blended with new ideas. That's Federal Ammunition. Right here in Anoka, Minnesota, born in 1922, made in America, and proud to be the best. Federal Ammunition, a century of innovation, and we're only getting started. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary. Please join us every week. Go to rapidfireradio.us and sign up or follow us on all of the social media channels that you use. We're at Cape Gunworks and at Rapid Fire Radio. Um, That's where you'll find us wherever you consume your social media. So uh, as I was saying before the the break, I want to read to you um, what Steve Exaros, my state rep, um, wrote. He couldn't be there because, believe it or not, he tested positive for COVID, of all things. And so he wasn't at the State House today, which was a bummer. But um, he did write uh, a pretty good um, thing that I want to I want to read to you. Uh, let's see here. Um, somebody texted it to me and I read it on the Austin Common. Um, and I was glad to do that because our state rep, he's my state rep. So dear friends, I would like to welcome your membership to the state house in Boston today. Thank you for your advocacy in favor of the rights of gun owners here in Massachusetts. I would like you to know that I am proud to stand along with you in steadfast support of the second amendment. More specifically, I joined together with you in opposing HD 4420. I am a former deputy of chief of police with five decades of experience in law enforcement. On April 12, 2018, one of my police officers was shot to death and his beloved police canine shot in the head. Both were attacked by a violent Massachusetts career criminal. The 125 crimes on his record was illegally armed and out on the streets. I know firsthand the failure of our criminal justice system and lack of punishment for violent criminals. I know that Massachusetts already has some of the toughest, most restrictive gun laws in the country. I am troubled by the recent uptick in the amount of violent crime across our state. And it is true that some of those crimes are committed with guns um, 
However, the extent we may feel compelled as a society to address violent crime, I don't believe passing more restrictive gun laws is the answer, or certainly that it should be our first reaction. Instead, we should be enforcing the laws we already have while also working on to real uh, to address real and concerning issues with mental health and substance abuse across our state. Further encroaching on the constitutional rights of law-abiding firearm owners is not the answer to our problems. I also note that HD 4420 has been opposed by a number of police chiefs and law enforcement officials across our state. These chiefs whose duty it is to uphold law and order on our streets and who certainly have an interest in reducing violent crime know that HD 4420 would not accomplish those objectives. Instead, it would only take away people's rights. It's a bad bill and it should not be passed in a law. One of the things I respect most about Goal is your commitment, not just to firearms advocacy, uh, but also to education. Always appreciate hearing from you and your members whenever there is a concern. For that reason, I encourage your leadership and your members always to reach out to my office and let them know how we feel, uh, how you feel about pending legislation or whenever you feel there is a need for change or action. Always happy to listen. Feel free to share my concerns with your members. Thank you, Steve G. Ixaros. Massachusetts State Representative, 5th Barnstable District. So there you have that. Um, I was honored to read that um, because he could not be there. Um, but it, it was very uh, heartwarming to hear that my state rep is one of the few opposed to this and uh, willing to fight. And that's why it's very important that the uh, that this bill end up in the Senate uh, that the Senate wants it to end up in the public safety uh, committee, which Stephen Exaros is a chairman uh, uh, on that. He's on that committee. Um, I don't think he's the chairman, but he's on that committee. So um, that's very important. All right. <clears throat> that was pretty much how my day went. Uh, it was an honor to speak on the Boston Common uh, on the verge of really history where our legislature has has uh, introduced a bill that would so radically defy the Bruin mandate and the court's order um, to get your laws in line with Bruin. Um, so when I met with Cindy Cream's chief of staff, I said, it's time for you guys to comply with Bruin. He goes, well, we took a swipe at that a year ago. I said, uh, kind of. And he goes, yeah, we got right the, um, took away the May issue and made it shall issue. And we also took away the suitability, uh, excuse me, not the suitability, but the uh, discretion from the police department. I said, yes, but you're hanging on to the Chad of suitability. And he goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> so he agreed with me and and said, I know. Um, but um, definitely uh, didn't shy away from that. But anyway, there, there you have it. So I'm happy to answer any questions about the day. Uh, if you want to type into the chat, um, and you know, uh, we'll talk about that. There's so much else to talk about though. Uh, and not that I don't want to talk all day about Massachusetts. I do. Um, it seemed, uh, last Friday was a great day for the second amendment when chief um, chief, uh, I should say St. 
Benitez, Robert T. Benitez of the Southern District of California District Court, uh, issued his long-awaited decision that got GVR'd by the Supreme Court. He made a decision a couple of years ago on uh, magazine restrictions and how they are unconstitutional. And he used our nation's text history and tradition before it was cool, before it was made cool by Bruin. And he uh, he reaffirmed his earlier decision. I found it a stall task tactic by the Ninth Circuit to basically, once their decision overturning his decision was vacated by the Supreme Court in light of Bruin, um, they could have made it right right then and there, but they didn't. They knew it would take an extra six, eight months or a year to, uh, if they kick it back to Robert Benitez, Judge Benitez, um, in the district court level and said, hey, our decision was vacated. You go ahead and bring this in line with Bruin. So he did. He really took a rolled up the sleeves approach. Now, there was something interesting that Mark Smith from the Four Boxes Diner said that he wished um, he had done differently. He did a great job of, in his decision of making the argument and acknowledging that magazines are protected arms under the Second Amendment where he feels he made a little more work than he needed to was at that point, once it's a protected arm under Heller, you cannot categorically ban arms. So instead of just saying, because magazines are a protected arm under the constitution, therefore the burden of proof shifts to the government to prove that there is historic tradition and text and history um, to ban arms. Instead of doing that, he, he basically allowed the argument of restriction to be kind of carried out when he could have just said, all right, the burden is on the government to prove that there's a text and a history, historical tradition of banning arms at, at our nation's founding in 1791. I know it's kind of split in hairs, but I think he makes a good point. And hopefully the other two decisions that drop um, regarding assault weapons ban and the approved weapons roster will have that level of nuance in it. Because once it's determined to be an arm, it can't be banned. That's the Heller. And that's what that's the Heller decision, and that's what um, the Bruin mandate did, is it reaffirmed Heller as good law, good case law, and so, therefore, um, you can't ban arms. So once that has been determined, now the burden of proof should be on the government to prove that there was uh, historical tradition and text at the nation's ratification of the Constitution uh, to support their ban on that item. So we all know there isn't. So um, anyway, he's basically saying he made it a little harder on himself. However, the ruling came out and it's good. So but he got it right anyway. So it doesn't really matter. The, the downside to it, as far as I'm concerned, is putting a stay on his own decision for 10 days to allow the state to appeal. They don't want another Freedom Week. And I wish, I really do wish that he had just allowed that 
you know, the government, again, to petition the court for an emergency or preliminary injunction, because once you've ruled it's unconstitutional, let the people have their freedom. And then let this, again, this shifts the burden to the government to say no. And uh, I think that's a great predicament to put the government in. So uh, put the government in in that predicament and say no, um, I think is, you know, where they need to be. They need to be put on the ropes. And uh, hopefully they they will be. So, um, you know, we can have this conversation around and around. But more on that when we get back. Also, I'll get to your chat. Uh, I promise to get to your questions. And uh, we're going to tee things up for uh, Laura Carno, uh, who I'm really looking forward to talking to. So don't go away. We will be right back after this. You're listening to Rapid Fire. I'm Toby Leary. Federal delivers a knockout punch with the leading defensive ammo on the market. Federal punch hollow points are accurate and reliable in all defensive situations. When you need reliability designed to provide a balanced mix of effective penetration and expansion, you need punch defensive ammunition from Federal, the leader in nickel-plated brass ammo with a sealed primer to deliver reliable feeding and ignition. Get Federal Punch defensive hollow point ammunition here at Cape Gunworks. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I'm your host, Toby Leary, and we're glad you're here. Um, before the break, we were talking about um, the Benitez decision that came down the pipeline last uh, Wednesday. I'm sorry, last Friday. He loves to drop his decisions on Friday. Um, and so we're all sitting here with bated breath for this Friday, hoping that the assault weapons ban and the, the approved weapons roster, both which ha- would have huge implications for Massachusetts, would drop. And I was opining about how he would probably issue a stay on both of those decisions as well, um, rather than just allowing those to to go through. Um, But um, nevertheless, Rob Bonta has already filed an appeal on that decision. So now it goes back up to the Supreme Court. I don't know if it'll go to, I'm sorry, the uh, Ninth Circuit. I don't know if it'll go to a three-judge panel or if it'll go straight to the en banc panel. And I wonder, is this going to end up in the in the uh, Supreme Court again? Like, if the Ninth Circuit doesn't take its marching orders from the Supreme Court and they continue to overturn Justice Robert T. Benita's decision, where do we go from here? We're kind of in our uncharted territory, and I, I'm sure the Supreme Court will have to vacate that decision. Interestingly enough, 
when we were on the steps of the state house today, um, walk, waiting to get through security to get in, uh, there was somebody behind us who was very much opposed to what we were doing. And he said she was a public defender for 30 years. Because a lot of us were making the argument that violent criminals don't get prosecuted for their crimes. She said, you don't know what you're talking about. I was a public defender for 30 years and I defended violent criminals and uh, had to try to get them off, if you will. And uh, that was the way they, um, you know, that was her argument is that, yes, they are prosecuted. And we were saying, we were trying to make the point that um, a lot of them are getting off on lesser charges. They're not serving the mandatory, mandatory minimum of 18 months for an unlicensed person with a gun. They're also um, career criminals in a lot of cases and multiple offenders. And I was basically making the argument, hey, Barnstable County House of Correction is empty right now. And it's not for lack of criminals. It's for lack of locking criminals up. When the reason they built this state-of-the-art jail in our in Barnstable County was because of overcrowding at the old county jail that dated back to like 200 years ago. And so, or a hundred years ago. So they built the thing, um, the state-of-the-art facility to house, I think, 570 inmates, and it has less than 200 now. So we can take a lot of inmates um, at Barnesville County House of Correction. But instead, what we're doing is we're cutting violent criminal and career criminal and repeat offenders loose on their own personal recognizance. We're cutting them loose on um, the the uh, low bail or no bail. We're also letting them out on um, good behavior early. Uh, they're getting out of jail a lot sooner than they should. So that's troubling and problematic. And not to mention, um, they end up unfortunately homeless or can't find a job because, you know, there's consequences to the to the lifestyle that they have chosen. So all that being said, um, she was basically saying, you know, guns are should be restricted. The Supreme Court got it wrong. And, uh, you know, they there's um, guns are for a well-organized militia. I said, well, who is the well-organized militia? She said, uh, well, the people, but it's an organized militia. And who gives them power? The government. I'm like, and I didn't have a chance to talk longer with her and some other people would jump in and she was getting frustrated and didn't want to argue. But my next question would be, so you're saying that the government writes down in the Bill of Rights to give itself power. That logic has never been done before. Uh, a Bill of Rights is for the people. It's not for the government. It's not for uh, the military of our government to say they have a right through you know, the military or through an organized militia to arm themselves. No, the military was people who had to bring their own arms and they were required to muster with 20 rounds, at least 20 rounds. So the opposite of magazine restriction is actually in our nation's history. And that is bring a, at least 20 rounds uh, when you are called to muster. And I said, isn't that comma a big thing too? Like the right of the people? Shall not be infringed. Like 
uh, a well-organized militia, comma, being necessary to the free state, comma, like, and the right of the people shall not be infringed. Um, nope, that means the militia. Okay. Well, there's been tons of legal scholars that would disagree with you on that, but I'm not going to sit here and argue on the Beacon Hill steps. And I'm also probably not qualified to argue that. I let people who've gone to all kinds of legal schools to sit there and determine that. All right, get to a couple of your questions. Um, and then we're going to go to a uh, break and bring come back with uh, Laura, Laura Carno. So um, let's see. Jack says, I don't need a license to buy ink. And you're darn right. You do not, Jack. Um, that would that would be the equivalent of that in the First Amendment side of things, right? Um, can certified firearms instructors book your range to do classes? Not really, Richie. Um, we don't necessarily do that um, because, well, I've made exceptions to that. Let's let's put it that way. I have made exceptions to that, um, but as a general practice and rule, not really because we have so many good instructors here at Cape Gunworks. So um, we kind of keep it under our own tent. Um, but I, I wouldn't be opposed to it if the right situation or a class that we don't offer comes up. So anyway, uh, Tue says, I'd rather not wait 10 to 15 minutes for police to show up. That's true. And Grace, you got a great point. I wish our schools were as safe as the state house. You know, we had to go through metal detectors, disarm ourselves. I had to take my pocket knife out and give it to one of the guys who wasn't going in. And um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a thing. So it's, you know, schools are not as safe, unfortunately. Um, so let's see. Dan says he was really disappointed to see such few people show up. And yeah, I agree. Um, why do I think that is? Everyone made a lot of excuses. There was people that needed to um, that needed to go to work, didn't want to burn a vacation day or something to that effect. So um, it was a Wednesday. It was you know it wasn't a weekend. So it was a lot of excuses we heard. But yeah, it, it's kind of sad. So anyway, um, all right, let's uh, let's go to a quick break. And then we're going to be back with uh, Laura Carno. I, I don't want to delay her any longer. I see her in the waiting room and I want to get going with that interview. So um, we'll be right back after this. Don't go away. I'm Toby Leary. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Welcome back, Welcome to, back rapid to Rapid Fire. Fire. Oh, we got oh, an we echo. Got an echo. Uh, must be, uh, must be Laura. Laura. I got to figure, I gotta that, figure out. that out. Um, um, 
<laughs> bear with bear me with one second. So, so uh, uh, welcome back to Rapid Fire, your weekly show all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, I'm Toby Leary, and I'm glad you're here with us. As usual, I'm really excited to have on the line with us right now, Laura Carnell, she is author and advocate. Out in, out in Colorado, Colorado the land I was born. Land I was born. So, uh, Laura, thanks so much for coming on the show. How are you today? Hopefully we can hear you. Hopefully we can hear you. Can you hear Can you hear me? It looked like there was a little hiccup. Yeah, as usual. Usual. Looked like there was a little hiccup. Bear with me, Bear with one, me second. one second. I am extremely, I am extremely uh, uh, adept, adept at running at the running controls, the controls of, this of this board. So, board. so uh, uh, let me just let me make just sure I have sure it set, set up real quick. Real quick. Um, um, yeah, it looks, yeah good. It looks good. All right. All right. Um, um, all, right. all right. Can you still, can you still can you hear, me can now? hear me now? I can hear you. All right. Great. All right, is there a echo? Echo? Not on my side. All right. All right. If it's, if it's just, just in my head, I can live with it. I can actually do this. But no, that I won't hear you. So anyway, so anyway uh, uh, let's do let's this. Let's do this. Um, uh, why don't you tell everyone a little about yourself and what it is you do and how you got started. Um, how you got started. And, um, and you know, gun world. No, gun will. world, if you will. And, and uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, the floor go ahead. is yours. The floor is yours. Sure. So I've been a, a longtime gun owner, um, I don't know, from my early 20s, I guess, and had a just a normal person's career completely outside of any of this. And in, uh, in 2008, I sort of tripped and fell into politics. And that led to being involved in some uh, recalls in Colorado uh, in 2013, which led to meeting a bunch of guys at Buckeye Firearms Association um, and going to a Faster Saves Lives class there in Ohio, which led to me starting Faster Colorado here in Colorado. So that is very, very condensed, um, but but that's how that's how I got here. So what is the Faster so Saves Lives? Faster if you want to tell us a little bit about that and, 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 and you know, walk us through. What is that? What is sounds that? interesting. Sounds interesting. Um, and, I, and by the way, I appreciate, way, I appreciate you sending me your book. Your I can't wait to read it. I am still about five reading books right now. I understood. Crack it open, but I can't wait to read it. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about what Faster Saves Lives is. Yeah, so Faster Saves Lives in Ohio um, is an organization that helps to train armed school staff. Um, Faster Colorado, my organization here in Colorado, same thing. Um, so we focus on um, firearms training for armed school security teams. Mostly it's armed school staff like teachers, janitors, coaches, etc. But often we also get full-time security guards who are um, in schools and sometimes even school resource officers come to our class. Um, we consistently hear that our, our training is more involved than what they learned in, you know, they're they're getting their security guard license and even some school resource officers um, have been impressed with what we offer compared to what 
I lost, I lost you for a, for a second, second there. there. Uh, uh, am I with you? Go ahead and, go ahead try, and try again. What was that? What was that? I can see and hear everything from here. Yeah, we yeah, lost, we lost for, a for a second. Okay. So you, so were, you training were training school, school resources. Yeah. So so occasionally, um, as I was saying, mostly the folks who come through are armed staff members that have another job. But um, recently, we've had some other full-time security guards and even school resource officers coming through our class. So, um, and we've been um, this program has expanded significantly in the seven years we've been doing it in Colorado. That's great. Um, what what about, what about um, um, so Colorado obviously doesn't, doesn't have, have the same, same laws, laws like, like the rest of the rest country, of the country that, that has um, gun-free gun zones, zones in all in the schools. schools. So, so you guys, guys have, have made it so that school, school resource officers or, or even teach, teach the arm in, Colorado? in Colorado? Yeah, so it's been law for about 20 years in Colorado that school boards can authorize armed staff. and. There, it's interesting. There are actually about 32 states that have some lawful process for, um, and it's all local um, for school boards, uh, superintendents, whatever, to authorize armed staff. So there's more than you think um, because the, the the policies are just very quietly implemented. And um, but yeah, 32 states that we know of have some lawful process, including um, Colorado. That's really cool. I just was at the state house yeah, a couple hours, hours ago, ago and I was talking with one of the legislative aides or the, or the staff, staff of, of the house, house president. president. Um, um, and uh, and uh, I'm sorry, I'm the, sorry Senate the Senate president, president of Massachusetts state house. And that, that question, question came up. Came up. Like, like, what do you guys, do, you guys do, do when it comes to uh, firearms? Do you like unload your gun and leave it in the car? If you unload your gun and leave it in the car, whatever. So well, I I let my I brought my kids to private kids school. To private school. A couple, of, a couple of private schools that they went to that they authorized, authorized us, to us to be able to carry guns. Carry guns. Not, not me personally, me personally but, but certain people, people on the, on the, on the premises. premises but, but, um, yeah, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, like you, you, you know, go, you know, to, go jail to jail and pass, pass don't get to collect $200 as you pass on the way to jail and get caught with a gun on a school property in Massachusetts. Yeah, and it's it's actually um, absent any of these policies. It is a federal crime. It's the the um, actual federal gun free zones act that um, that's where everything starts. That's why it's illegal on schools unless a state has done something to have an exemption to that. Well, well. It is, it is certainly something, something that, needs that needs to happen, to happen in, my in my opinion. I, I you know, some of the worst, some of the worst shootings, shootings in, history, in the history uh, were in gun-free gun zones. zones. I just read, I just read about, about the, uh, the, uh, the one in, the one in um, um, I think it was, think in, it was Georgia, in Georgia, uh, in, uh, Russia, in Russia, the Beckland, the Beckland School in North Ossieta. 330 people lost their lives. There's no one there that could could fight could against, fight it, against it, it. it was just, it was a, just a, you know you know horrible horrible situation, situation. Um, um so, so you train the staff you train anyone who's going to be armed in the, the schools, schools is that what the, the faster, faster colorado, colorado is all about? yeah so when schools authorize people to be 
harmed in their school, they have to get some required training. And that's what we provide at FASTER. It's their annual required training, including the same test that law enforcement passes to get out of the academy and all their subsequent years. So it's um, very rigorous training. Um, and our instructors are active duty law enforcement instructors. Um, we train at law enforcement training facilities. So it helps the public have a sense of confidence that this is actually a very serious training program. It's not just um, anybody who's who's carrying on campus. So it just helps the the public with that sense of um, of confidence in the programs. Yeah, and yeah, you're and actually, you're actually uh, uh, charting, charting new territory, territory really, really because, because there's a whole, there's a whole bunch, bunch of stuff, of stuff that, that has to happen if school administrators are going to be armed in that way and be a, their, their own, own first, first responders, responders if you will, will in that, that um, um, worst case worst scenario, scenario but, but also, also when, when law enforcement, enforcement arrives so, so um, you, you said Ohio, Ohio kind of pioneered this, this and you guys, you guys adopted, adopted it is that, is that what, it what it was yeah so um, Buckeye Firearms Association or um, foundation pardon me in Ohio um, pioneered a class geared toward um, school staff and um, you know, raising private money to help those schools be able to afford great training and that sort of thing. Um, and they've, um, Faster in Ohio has helped other states get started. I was the first. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm running independently um, out here as Faster Colorado. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, um, it's something I think is gonna be prevalent in every state at some point um, as, as people figure out having somebody armed at the point of attack in these these school massacres is the only thing that's going to stop these killers from targeting our children in school um you know everything is more is more secure than schools the the uh, the lingerie department at the department store has a stinking armed guard in it <laughs> why aren't our children protected with with armed um some sort of armed defense yeah yeah what what, what, is, the what is the funding for this? How, this? How, do How do you guys get funding, get funding for it? Is, or it, just is it just through donations? donations? Yeah, it's a good question. So we're a 501c3 um, and we do take donations from anywhere across the country. You don't have to be in Colorado to donate. Um, but in the early years when schools haven't really thought about it um, and haven't put it in their budget to pay for this training, that's where that fundraising comes in. Um, what, we, what we want is for or, um, when they have said, we're going to pass this policy, we want them to be able to afford our training, not just get their hours planking in somebody's backyard. Um, we'd like really good quality training on how to stop active killers and how to stop the bleeding. Um, so that's what we raise the money for. Most schools um, in their subsequent years, they're at least starting in their third year, they have it in their budget, um, you know, for them to get to our training and the travel and so forth to get to our training classes, um, but it's really those first year schools. And we had such a big spike since the Coventry Christian shooting in Nashville. We've had such a spike. We've had to add three fall classes this year. And so boy, our, our sponsors and our donors have, have really been so helpful for us being able to offer these um, extra classes this year. Yeah, that's yeah, a, that's, that's, a, amazing, that's amazing um, um, that you guys, you guys has, it, has it been well received? I mean, like, I'm sure there's certain, certain people, people that it's, that it's not, not 
uh, uh, well received. Like, oh, the answer, the answer is more guns, guns, right? right. Like, they like, they always make that ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous argument, argument when you say, hey, you could have farm school resource officers. Oh, so the answer is more guns. They just want to, you know, kind of blame you for wanting a gun or have someone evil person that shows up. But what about the public at large? Um, what about and the you public know how at many large? Schools um, and do you know how many schools that have resource officers or resource officers or, or, teachers or, teachers or, or something? Yeah. So here in Colorado, we are in 45 school districts out of Colorado's 178 school districts. So not a majority, but you know, respectable. Um, and and these policies are parent driven. The parents have to tell the school board you must do this or we will not vote for you again. It, this is parent driven. We then respond when, when schools need, um, need training. Um, as far as the, the community response, the public at large, um, there's always gonna be that contingent that thinks it's a terrible idea, who, who think that gun ownership in general is a terrible idea. Um, but the acceptance um, the overall acceptance, I would say, of these policies increases over the years as we have more school shootings. And, and you know, people are looking at like Coventry Christian in Nashville. It took cops like 12 or 14 minutes to get there. Um, they, they got after it quickly once they got there. But my goodness, that's that's Nashville Metro PD. That's a that's a city. Um, and so it, it, every one of these things that happens really changes the public's perception. Um, and you know now we have a majority of people who think that it's a good idea um, compared to when I started this seven years ago, um, a majority of people thought it wasn't a good idea. So um, you know, I think that there's growing public, public things like when there are these big mass shootings like um, you know, Uvalde or Coventry Christian or what have you, I tend to get contacted by national media um, and to be a voice of, of, you know, some reason in the midst of, you know, kind of this national mourning that we all go through, um, you know, what, what are the solutions? And I'm happy, happy to be able to be that face and that voice to say, look, there are some solutions and, um, uh, but parents have to push these policies. Yeah, that's yeah, that's uh, uh, oh sorry, oh sorry, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> um, they, um, they oh, man, man, no, no, it's such it's a such a important important thing, thing. Like, like, and just on just the, on the surface, surface, it's it's we we go to go to every sporting, sporting event, event that, it, that you know it, you know you're you're disarmed, disarmed at. at. There's metal detectors. There's tons, tons of police. Of police there's, there's, uh, security, uh, security presence, presence and they are there with their little wand, wand and they, and they wand your wand body. Your body. Yeah, they, they go to go extra, extra precautions to make sure that people aren't armed if they're going to a sporting event, you know, if whether they're going to a sporting football event, football game or a hockey game or a baseball game or whatever. Game or whatever. And, um, and, but yet, um, then we send our kids to school in quote-unquote gun-free zones and and just say, just good say, luck. good luck, Johnny. Johnny, good luck. Good luck. Hope, you know, no, something happens. Something happens. Hide, hide under the desk. desk. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's not it's very, very good training, good training or good planning, planning for our most our precious, precious resource, which is our children. And I'm, and I'm shocked, I'm shocked that, that it's not um, um, some sort some of sort of accepted thing. Like, hey, we see what happens in these places. They become kills really, really. And I know it's still pretty rare, but one is one is too many. You know, I, I, I would hate, I would to, hate see, to see. Um, um, I, I hope I never wake up to hearing about another school shooting ever again. 
but shooting the reality in the situation is reality in the situation is evil exists crazy people are crazy out people there, so are out there and so uh, i applaud your i applaud your effort for doing that doing that and how long is how long is the training for the, training staff, for the staff that they go that through they go through yeah, so for their first year, and by the way, they have to have pre-training before they get even to our level one class. It's not a it's not a beginner class, but their first year is a three-day class. Subsequent years is um, requalification plus a 16-hour class. Um, it's not by any stretch of the imagination the only um, uh, training they get during a year. It's just their annual required training with the, the test that, again, is the same one that the cops pass. Um, every year to get out of the the police uh, to get out of the police academy, and then the law enforcement's annual requalification. So, um, but again, they've got to have a lot of stuff under their belt before they get to us. What was what was, was it? Was a, it a, um, um, at some point, at some I'm, point sure I'm sure all the schools, schools in Colorado, Colorado were, were you know were gun free zone, correct? Yeah. What, what was the, the Shift, shift point, point or what, or was, what it was it that shifted them from, from even entertaining the idea, idea like, like uh, I'm gonna I'm state, state like, like, like I don't even think they're entertaining the idea of arming users or allowing to be armed or even mandating resources to be armed. What was the conversation like? What was the starting point or the thing that triggered that whole start of that? Yeah, I hear a little bit and pieces of it. It was 20 years ago. Colorado was still conservative then. I wasn't, um, I wasn't a part of, I wasn't involved in politics at that point. Um, but I'm hearing little bits and pieces from people who were around that, around there. And the, the picture I can put together is um, some rural talk to their legislators, talk to their sheriffs, and had something um, very small um, put into the law and there wasn't big fanfare around it. That, um, that That's what I'm piecing together, um, what happened back there. It, it wasn't a big, you know, a big national or a, a big statewide, um, you know, uh, cry for it or anything. I think it was very quietly done. Well, I'm hoping well, I'm hoping it will... It will take root and root. maybe and the point maybe Colorado, point Colorado is this implementation of that. Of that. Um, you guys, um, you guys still, still, have still have a long way to go, but 130 school districts don't or it's fully implemented in the state. The fact that, that you know, the worst, you know, the worst years, years of allowing officers to be armed in schools hasn't materialized, right? That's the whole argument against, against like, like constitutional carries carry that the blood running, running in the street because people will be having a gun fight over in Arkansas and, 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 and we hear, we hear it, all it all the time, time. Oh, oh, no, no, having, having a teacher on this asking for something to disarm them and then go on shooting rampage and obviously I don't think that's happened so maybe you could so maybe you could Talk, you know, talk, talk about the successes, about the successes and, that, and, and the fact that, that, the fact you've that rolled it out, rolled it out in a methodical way. way and are there any are there resources in the other state who might want to do that? Yeah, and you're right. None of the bad things that they're saying is going to happen is going to happen. They, um, you know, the the parking the parking spot thing. The way they say it in schools is a teacher and a student are going to get into an argument over a grade, and a teacher is going to shoot a student, and you're like. Do, do they ever hit students and do they punch them? Do they, do they, is, 
uh, now um, that makes you think that, that that anything violent would be happening when they argue over a grade. Um, so none of that stuff happens. But yeah, as far as resources, you know, if you've got folks, if you got folks in Colorado who want to hear about what we're doing here, um, folks can go to fastercolorado.org. Um, they can contact us, see what we're up to. Um, you know. It, you know, see the um, bios of our instructors, all that kind of stuff. Um, if folks are interested in a different state in doing this um, in their state, um, they can go to um, fastersaveslives.org and talk to the folks in Ohio who are helping other people get, um, get started in different states. What I'm going to do, Laura, is, is uh, we're going to uh, go to a go quick break talking with Laura Carno. We'll get to what you wrote about, about uh, uh, after, after the break. And, uh, and uh, I'm going to try to ask you to log off and log back on. Maybe that'll help the situation. And I'm going to figure out my microphone thing because I'm getting a lot of messages saying they can't understand a word I'm saying. So they can't understand a word I'm saying. We're going to go to a quick break. We'll be right back. I'm Toby Leary. I'm Toby Leary. And this is Rapid Fire. Welcome everyone, it's Toby from Rapid Fire Radio and it's time for another Rapid Fire Gun of the Week. Last week's video was the cool Rossi 357 Magnum lever action gun, but it was modernized, so it wasn't the true cowboy gun. It was brought into the 21st century and made very tactical looking. This week we're bringing it back to the Old West. This is a gun that has been very hard to get and Keep in stock. The Ruger Vaquero, and this one is in 357 Magnum, which is super cool because it's cheaper to shoot if you put 38 Special in it than like 45 Long Colt or 44 Mag. It's got the 4 and 5 Ace barrel, but wait, there's more. If you're going to get one of these in true Old West tradition, you should get two. We have a pair. That's right, we got a pair of the Ruger Vaquero 4 and 5 Ace. 357 Magnum, super cool, and it can go along with the Rossi lever action in 357 Magnum. See what I did there? Anyway, Rapid Fire Gun of the Week is all about guns I think are cool, so there you have it. <laughs> Come check it out at Cape Gunworks, or go to Rapid Fire Radio, scroll down to Gun of the Week, click on it, and use GOW at checkout for a very special savings on your Ruger Vaquero, or your pair of Ruger Vaqueros. Get them while, I'm, while they're hot. I'm Toby Leary and I'll see you on Rapid Fire. Thanks so much. All right, and we're back. Hopefully you guys can hear me a little better uh, and maybe I'm not echoing. So I don't hear the echo in my ears, so that's a good thing. Uh, and Laura's got some headphones, so maybe that helps. So uh, well, Old fashioned <laughs> corded earbuds. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Uh, technology. To the, for the win, right? Uh, I'm always being blasted by uh, technology. So it was a good break. Uh, and guys, I'm sorry for the gun of the week to be the same gun as last week, but we have one left. Someone didn't buy the pair and I didn't have time to shoot a new gun of the week video. So there you have it. It's it's uh, a retread, but 
uh, still a very interesting gun. So anyway, being given, getting all kinds of thumbs up that the sound is way better. So that's good. And I don't have to play, uh, you know, Mr. Wizard over here and try to uh, deal with the mute and the controls and all that. So before the break, we were talking about, you know, what you're involved in, in that faster Colorado um, program. And I'll definitely dump the uh, link to that in the chat. And I would love to try to spearhead something like that in Massachusetts because I think it's um, really, really important. Ironically, um, a kid was just arrested at my son's, the school my son just graduated from last year or last spring, uh, Barnstable High School, my the hometown school here, uh, at the football game last Friday night with a knife and a, a gun. And the gun was unloaded, so thankfully there was no real threat there. But I, he was probably going to dress down someone in the, you know, under the bleachers or something. Who the heck knows? But um, the 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 point I'm trying to make is it's it's more like it's not a matter of if; it's a matter of when. If we don't create or change something big on like the macro level, all we ever do is um, treat the symptom. We never really treat the problem, and um, you know, until we do, uh, um, unfortunately, I think we're going to have some serious, serious problems and it's going to come eventually to a city near you, which is something none of us want to ever think about or hear about. And, uh, so I applaud your work there, Laura, and, um, you know, think you're doing a great job on that and certainly hope that we can implement something like that. So the book you sent me, um, which I haven't read, honest, full disclosure here, so, so I apologize, <laughs> is uh, it's called uh, Government Ruins Everything or Ruins Nearly Everything um, and uh, Reclaiming Social Issues from Uncivil Servants. This really strikes at the root of <laughs> what I have been talking about for the better part of two or three years on this this show, Rapid Fire Radio, and that is getting government officials to honor their oath of office and uphold the Constitution, you know, that they swear to protect and, and uphold. And then they go into their chambers, the Senate chambers or their House of Representatives, and then they vote laws that are contrary to the Constitution that they just said to protect. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about the work that you did around that, that caused you to write the book and, uh, cause it's a really interesting story. Yeah. And, um, it's gosh, it was published in 2016. So it's quite a number of years old at this point. And I see my Amazon sales every so often. I'm like, well, who are you people who are still buying this book? Uh, it's been out for so long, but it, it's a really, um, it's, I would say that a, um, a high school civics class could use this book as a, as a base for, um, you know, talking about what government should do and what government shouldn't do. And I, I took on four issues. I called them the fireworks issues because there's so much drama and money and wailing and gnashing of teeth around them. Um, but I talk about marriage, abortion, guns, and schools. So four issues that seem to suck all the oxygen out of politics. And if we could um, trust people and not government to fix the problems, we'd be a whole lot better off. 
um, because and and the the title of the book came from this this um, I, I would ask if if you wait sorry say that one sure. again uh, I lost you for a second the title of the book came from what yeah so I, I would speak all over the state about various political issues and I would ask the question if 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 this if this thing if you want it fixed. Why in God's name would you turn it over to the government to fix it? Ruins nearly everything it touches, and everybody would laugh. And and so it, it became one of my my uh, placeholder titles. But that's true. Um, government's not fixing things; it's breaking things. If we want to fix things, much like what I'm doing with Faster, if I want to make schools safer, I shouldn't I shouldn't be going to the government and saying, "Hey, you need to fix this. Let's figure this out outside of government." One of one of the things that you have on your website, which by the way is lauracarno.com, uh, L-A-U-R-A-C-A-R-N-O.com. Uh, you you have a political media company that says, "I am created equal," um, and I love that, by the way. And I remind people a lot when I talk publicly, like. Um, I've been doing for some reason a lot of lot of talking lately. And um, one of the things I like to bring up is the Declaration of Independence that, you know, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And then I go on to compare the Second Amendment and how it's been treated in our the last 40 or 50 years in our nation and compare it to other rights and say like, oh, the Second Amendment has this whole list of requirements attached to it that, um, you know, are certainly treated a whole lot different than all the other rights that we are granted by our creator and acknowledged by our founders um, for, for, you know, an enumerated right. So um, I say that even though I believe that our rights are equal under uh, the you know, and that's what our founders said are, is self-evident, which I love that wording. It's obvious that these rights are uh, granted by our creator. And they're, uh, what, one of the other words I love to use is unalienable or unalienable. If you break that word down, that word lean is an attachment or a condition or a, you know, some sort of condition that you put on that right. You can't do that. It's unalienable or unalienable. And um, so, you know, when I see that that wording, um, what what does that have to like? You have a political company that says, "Am I created equal?" And what what do you mean by that? And what what is the uh, implication of that? Right. It, it, it's the political media company that I formed when I was doing um, media during the recalls and and some different. Um, issue campaigns that I did here in Colorado. And, but everything comes down to, we are created equal to the government official. They are not the king. Um, they are not born there um, to lord over us. They, this isn't, um, you know, there's no divine right of kings here um, where they, they get to determine how we live our life. We determine how we live our life. And that, that's what everything flows from. And I'm glad to hear you, you know, speaking about the declaration in your speeches. It is everything. Um, it, it's, it's what um, 
um, it's the spirit of the founding and, and that's the spirit we need to get back and stop asking our government to fix things, stop expecting it um, to fix all of the ills in society. That is our job. They don't get to make decisions about how we live our lives. Um, that's not, that's not. That's not the role of government, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, the, the big thing that I end up running up against all the time and today no being no different is that for some reason, government thinks that they have some sort of superpower to um, enact encumbrances or those liens against the Second Amendment because guns can kill people. So they make a this jump of leap, this leap of logic where they don't treat any other law the same way as they do the Second Amendment or any other right the same way they do the Second Amendment. And they also don't carry out the gun control logic in any other area of our lives. Like if they did, we would never have another swimming pool because kids drown in swimming pools every year. Right. If they did, we wouldn't be able to own automobiles because they kill so many people on our streets every year, you know, by going off the road and kill, you know, hitting trees or cars or whatever. But yet, for some reason, they feel like they can make that emotional uh, supercharged connection and have some sort of moral high ground to condescend the rest of us who choose to defend ourselves with arms or or for whatever reason we own an arm. Um, and that's, uh, I, I take it from the spirit of what you're talking about is is what the, the book is kind of about, right? Is how you know, if we want something done right, definitely don't entrust government to do it because they're going to make it a steaming pile of, you know what, really yes. quick. Yeah. And, and there's an interesting connection between what you're talking about and other things the government does. So the government. Sorry about that. Start that one over. Yeah. Got, so so got... let's let's say healthcare, for example, um, government says this is broken. We shall fix it. And then they they proceed to sell to the American people that we're gonna do this thing that'll fix it, just like they sell gun control and saying it's going to fix the problem. Um, and I put that in air quotes, um, fix the problem. Um, but government never fixes the problem. And people keep giving trust to the government that of course they're going to fix the problem when they never do. Ask and you know, do a man on the street interview, what's the last problem the government actually fixed? I, I don't know what who, who's going to answer that question. The the economy every time they uh, you know dip in and do fixes, it always makes it worse. Um, the healthcare system, um, crime, gun control, all that stuff. Yeah, th that's where I think the uh, you know argument really is. Um, like I like to point, they like to point to the to the legal gun owner as the reason that gun crime exists or crime, negative outcomes with firearms exist because you choose to own a gun. That's why there's crime and blah, 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 and whatever they want to link it to. They always lay the blame at the people who want to own guns and defend themselves with arms. However, there's a big mirror in their face, and it's really the, the shortcomings of government that enable these policies that create the environment ripe and rift for crime. Look at LA, look at Oakland, look at 
uh, you know, Atlanta, you can look at all these cities that are have zero, uh, they've already A, wanted to defund police and B, uh, want to let criminals out on the street, which they did in mass at, at, during COVID. And now they've created this environment where the, unless it's a thousand dollars worth of goods, they're not even going to arrest these people. What did you, what did you do? You just put a calling card on the front door saying, come rob me, you know? And the, the bottom line is their failure to prosecute violent criminals in our country is what is making violence rise on our streets it has nothing to do with Joe Schmo wanting to own a gun to protect himself, but it has everything to do with their failure to, uh, prosecute the most crim violent criminals in our country. Policy, bad policies have bad consequences. And mm -hmm. we see that over and over. The other thing I, I would say is when, when government or politicians, let me say it that way, try to put um, all of the bad things at the foot of of law-abiding gun owners, and they want to say this crime is your fault. I would also like them to look at all of the defensive gun uses every year, hmm. and lay that at the foot of law-abiding gun owners. We need to look at both sides of that ledger. If we're going to look at the crime side of the ledger uh, when crimes involved firearms, we must look at the other side of the ledger, and uh, that's a that's the side they conveniently forget. That's a great point, Laura. And um, that is the thing that they conveniently leave out of every news article, every media story, every time there's a town hall, you know, discussion on whatever CNN or news network is out there that about how guns are the problem. They always leave the defensive gun uses out. And that is a much larger uh, number than criminal gun uses of oh, yeah. firearms. Um, interestingly enough, uh, you know, there's, it's tough to even really track what the true number is of defensive gun uses, but experts say it's a minimum of, uh, you know, upwards of a million and a half times a year. And in some cases, they think it could be as high as two and a half million times a year because a lot of them go underreported. Yeah. There's also no data to really, um, I've been listening to this podcast, which isn't a gun-friendly podcast, but it's uh, Malcolm Gladwell, and I'd love to get him on my show. But uh, he's um author and you know Canadian liberal that really doesn't believe anyone should have the right to keep and bear arms, and he's doing a six-part series on uh, guns in America and the problem with guns in America. But the third episode is pretty eye-opening because he realizes the data has been manipulated on both sides in some cases. And, but really he got very upset on the gun control side of things when the data was m manipulated. And he also tried to figure out how many times people are shot a year that don't die. And that's a number that's very difficult to, um, to come up with. And I think that data is useful for both sides of the argument because um, if crime is rising, and people are being shot, but our medical, you know, technology, which has advanced, has kept people from dying. Politicians can stand there and say, like they do in Massachusetts, big time, say like, oh, we're one of the safest states in the country because of our strict gun control. When nothing could be further from the truth, we are one of the most violent states in the Northeast, or certainly in New England. We are the most violent state in New England. Um, 
and we have Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont, which are all constitutional carry states to our north, same people, but much different results. And um, that's the data that gets manipulated. And I think that they love to tout their their strict gun control is actually doing something when really the, the numbers point in the opposite direction. Um, and I think you raise a great point about how uh, defensive gun use is, 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 is really where uh, the argument is, right? It, isn't that the, we can get into the weeds quick with unserialized firearms and assault weapons and magazines, but isn't it really the most basic human right is the right to defend yourself against someone who wants to commit evil against you. Right, and you know, when we're talking about if it saves one life, we hear this all the mm -hmm. I don't know what's going on with the gremlins today. If, if it's on the gun control side, if it's okay to say, if it saves one life, then yeah. on the defensive gun use side, if it saves just one life, if it saves 1.5 million lives, and you know the you've got the moms demand action folks. How how many of those people were women who were able to save their own life um, with a firearm or save the lives of their children? Um, you know we got moms on our side too um, who <laughs> demand uh, that they that their right to protect themselves and their families not be taken from them. Yeah, you know, uh, we had a speaker at the event today at the State House um, on the Boston Common. Uh, her name is uh, Renee Gagney, and she's one of the DC Project women. And uh, when Jim Wallace introduced her to come to the stage and talk, um, he was mentioning about the Moms Demand Action, the red shirt crowd. And she, she got really upset, and she told him once offline, and he told the story kind of out of school today as he was introducing her and said, um, you know, she said, those aren't moms. Those are people who want to disarm America because a mother would never leave themselves defenseless in order to protect their child. And I found that to be a very interesting uh, point. And you just, you know, kind of said it the same way that moms really are, have that mama bear mentality. They want right. to protect their kids at all costs. And so it goes against the human nature of protecting your child to say that we're not going to use technology to our advantage and leave ourselves exposed to this violence that could could come. Right. <clears throat> or or if, if as if there were some moral superiority in laying there and allowing yourself to be killed as opposed to defending yourself because I, I think I think that implicit in our right to life life liberty and the pursuit of happiness is our right to defend that life right you, you, you don't have the right to life but if unless you're pressed by a bad guy and then you have to lay down and die that's not a thing it's impossible to pursue liberty and the pursuit of happiness without life right right I and I think that's the brilliance of our our founding fathers really acknowledging, that, um, you know, it says in uh, earlier in the declaration that the, the laws of nature and of nature's God, you know, this is all, um, this is in the basic laws of nature, like God gave animals claws and horns to defend themselves against enemy animals or other animals that want to eat them, right? He at least gives them the chance to defend themselves or makes them fast or whatever. Right. Same thing with us. 
Like we, we, you don't cut the horns off the, the antelope to defend it against the lion. That doesn't right. make sense, but right. that's gun control logic 101. Yeah. It doesn't make sense, but yeah. Yes. Tell us in closing real quick, um, what, what it was you were involved in on that campaign, the recall campaign, uh, you, you got, you did some big work in Colorado, uh, <laughs> against one of the mayors or something like that. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, so there were, this is in 2013, Michael Bloomberg was running around the country with his package of gun control laws and, and, um, including Colorado. Um, we ended up recalling two sitting state senators, including the Senate president, wow. um, and for their gun control votes, they, they voted differently than they campaigned. Um, and it was <clears throat> me to one, uh, Michael Bloomberg's money came in, um, spent 20 times the money that we spent. I did some ads. Um, one of the, the key lines in, in, in our ads, what, and this was me to camera. Um, if guns aren't for you, don't own one, but don't you dare tell me how to defend myself oh, and had no idea how big it would get created a whole bunch of national media. It was the first time I started getting death threats, um, which reminds me why I carry. Um, it was a very interesting time, but it, uh, for 10 years after that, um, um, I'm gonna say maybe nine years, they're just starting to talk about it now. Legislators didn't run on their gun control votes. Even though we've gone significantly left, nobody's talking about gun control up until the last year or so um, because our legislature is uh, a Democrat majority, um, but I, I do not think Colorado voters, uh, I don't think the voters are as far left as the legislature. Um, we've had a lot of California in migration, which I think has changed some things, but it's a pretty common sense uh, uh, state. Uh, it's pretty self-reliant state, and um, I don't think that it's for gun control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's certainly been stung over the years of this, you know, the mass shootings. It was, uh, you know, I, I was born in Denver and I, my heart is there. You know, I believe I love Colorado. My dad still lives out there and I love the state. And every time I hear of something like that, it really breaks my heart. And, you know, I'm like, man, Colorado, certainly I remembered it being a fairly red state and maybe it's gone more purple now. Um, but the the bottom line is, I think you're right. Like most people there are far more conservative than Massachusetts, where I live, um, and get a lot of stuff right. And I hate to see the degradation of firearms laws in Colorado, like I've seen erode over the past yeah. probably 10 years. If Well, if we're will. fighting. Yes. We're fighting for your home state. Good. Uh, somebody's got to, because yes. I'm, I'm up to my eyeballs and alligators here in Massachusetts. So yeah. uh, <laughs> I'd love to lend a hand. But um, Laura, tell people where they can go if they want to support your work and get your book and all that good stuff and, and learn more about it. Yeah, fastercolorado.org. Uh, they can find out what we're doing out here um, at Faster. lauracarno.com. There's a, a link there that takes you right to my Amazon book page if you wanted to um, buy a book and um, you know, would love to hear from your audience. And if you ever get back out to Denver to visit dad, would love to uh, grab lunch. Yes. I would love that myself. We'll definitely have to do that. And uh, you know, that, that would be great. Um, I feel like I 
have so many great friends out in Colorado and, and certainly want to add another one to the list. So that would be great Excellent. to have another contact out there. Laura, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Uh, Laura Carno, go to her website, lauracarno.com. I dropped the link in the chat and uh, we'll have to do this again for sure sometime. And I appreciate all the good work you're doing out there. Thank so, you. Good uh, to meet you. God bless and take care. Thanks. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Another episode of Rapid Fire is in the bag. And I know it was a truncated one. Forgive me for all the gremlins that resurfaced. We had a few um, weeks here of largely technical difficulties going away. But um, yeah, it's it's never a dull moment. So we'll start rolling out some video of the rally and, uh, and certainly... Um, you know, get more good content out there. There's a lot of work to be done. Laura's story is inspiring. We need to get our butts in gear and uh, be an advocate and fight the good fight because if we don't, no one else is going to. This is our turn. It's our turn up at the at the podium. It's our turn on the soapbox. It's our turn uh, to defend liberty and uh, history as we know it. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be on the right side of history. So God bless everyone uh and we'll see you next time for a regular show i'm sure and uh we'll we'll do it all again next week so um yeah god bless and we'll see you then i'm toby leary see you next time